Hello, welcome to Heritage Church. We are so glad that you are joining us for worship today. As a church, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. So if this is your first time joining us for service, or if you have any questions, prayer requests, or want to talk to one of our pastors, please go to heritageqc.com connect, and one of us on the pastoral team will contact you this week. For now, I'd like to invite you to raise your voice to make a joyful noise as we begin to worship God together. Would you sing with me? Good morning, Heritage. Let's stand together. Lift our voices and worship our God and King. You're seated on the throne of mercy. Your glory shining bright for all to see. Oh God, I will praise you. You're magnificent. Magnificent with grace unending. You rescue us with love that never fails.
Well, hey, friends. Welcome. Yeah, it's so good to see you. Welcome to this fourth week in our conversation through the book of Ephesians. My name is Jeremiah. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here. And wherever you're joining us from, whether you're here joining us in Rock Island, you're catching us online as we uh, live stream this, or you're joining us later from your prison cell or from your living room or from some other space, we're so glad that we get to connect in this way. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and that's, a, that's the 10th book in the New Testament. If you want to turn there, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you can kind of find that in there or click there. Uh, we're going to be in the fourth chapter today. And the book of Ephesians is really a letter written to a particular group of churches in an area called Ephesus. So it's a book that's written to a group of people, but it's also written for us here Today, So we're going to be in the fourth chapter of that letter as we interact. And Ephesians is really all about who we are as Jesus' people. What it looks like for you and for me to live out the hope of Jesus in this thing called the church. Now, I don't know what your church background is, if you grew up going to church or not. Maybe this is your first time in a church environment for a long, long time or ever. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you grew up going to church and you've lost count of how many times you've been in a church service. I'm so glad that you're here. All of us have these different experiences of what it looks like to be and attend church. In fact, even as a heritage family, we are gathering in all kinds of different ways today. There are men attending service by TV in their prison cells as they connect with us in Kiwani. There are people gathering in their living rooms and connecting in small groups. There are those attending in campuses like this and in so many other spaces. In fact, after 9 o'clock this morning, I got a text from my brother in Arizona saying, hey, I watched you and, you know, try to do better next time. So, you know, which is great. That's good. So what that reminded me of, though, is uh, as we were interacting uh, through this series and conversation, I was thinking of some of my early church experiences. And they may be somewhat similar to yours because I grew up every weekend going to church. We would get up and we would go to church. Get up and go to church. There was no question. It wasn't whether we wanted to go to church or not. We would get up and go to church because that's what you do. You get up and you go to church. And then there was this season where my grandparents actually led a house church in their living room, and I lived with my grandparents. So we would get up and go down the hallway and go to church. 
what was the problem about that is like you couldn't fake being sick, right? That's okay, you're just going to church, that's what you do. So there was this particular season there where they were leading this house church. And let me just explain you, I was about six maybe, probably younger than that. And, and we were having these house church meetings. House church meetings for them looked a lot like this. About 12 grown-ups sitting in a circle, sometimes reading the Bible, praying and talking. When you're six, all you want is a sharpened pencil so that you can put your own eye out and just end it all, okay? It was awful. I mean, it was so awful that later on in life, I started referring to this, and later on, I mean, like last week, I was trying to figure out, what would I call that gathering? And uh, I've come up with this. I think that church at home there, we would call that Our Lady of Perpetual Boredom. I think that's it. And so I like to tell people now, I grew up going to Our Lady of Perpetual Boredom for church. And some of you are like, that is so offensive, Jeremiah. Why would you say that? And others of you, and if, that's, if you're in the first group, just kind of dig with us, all right? It'll be okay. It'll get better. And if, if, but some of you, you heard that and you're like, I went to Our Lady of Perpetual Boredom too. It was a different branch, but you know, the, the same experience right? And so here's the thing. What I've discovered as we interact with the stuff of church, and one of the things I love about who Heritage is, is you'll hear us say this from time to time, is that we don't go to church. We are the church. The church isn't this place that we go to. It's an identity that we share in who we are. As followers of Jesus, he calls us out and calls us his own. So it's not just something we go to. It's a people who we are. And the book of Ephesians is written to a group of people called the church, not to go to church, but to be the church. And no matter what your history is, no matter what your experience is, no matter what your tradition has been, I believe that the key truth, or one of the key truths that God has for us throughout the book of Ephesians, and in fact, throughout much of scripture, is this simple phrase, you are made for more. You are made for more. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, The very first verse, the writer says this. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, you were made for more. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You've been made for more, so live a life that looks like you were made for more. That's the invitation here. And I know as soon as we start talking about this, some of us move very quickly to a sense of that hearing that word calling and going, I don't know what my calling is. I've been looking for it. I've been trying for it. I'm afraid I'm missing it. I don't know what it is. So how do I live a life worthy of my calling if I don't know what my calling is? And this is where it's helpful. I do believe that we have, we have specific things that God has placed in us and made us for, that if we don't put ourselves to the doing of it, they'll be left undone individually. I believe that. God has a purpose and a plan for you. But the writer here is not talking to an individual about their personal calling. He's talking to a group of people called the church. He's saying, all of you together, church, and we would say heritage and the broader church with a capital C, all of you together are to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And all of the first three chapters leading up to this point in the book of Ephesians are about this calling that we have received. It's the calling to live out the Jesus kingdom to live out the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, hear me, is not just about going to heaven after we die. 
Some of us have kind of boiled down the good news to that. That's not it. Yes, we do get to experience heaven, but the good news of Jesus is that you and I get to experience a Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who was raised from the dead for us, who ascended for us, who lives and intercedes for us even now. And because of that, Jesus even now is king, and you and I are to take the news of his kingship and help the people around us experience the reality of heaven here and now. That's part of the good news for us. That's the good news that we're invited to live out. That's the calling that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is reminding people of. Live a life that is worthy of this calling of saying there is a whole different way of living, a whole real kingdom that says Jesus is alive and you can experience his aliveness right here and right now in profound ways when the church lives that out. That's his way of saying you were made for more. This is an anchor truth for us. In fact, he continues then. He says, hey, live this life that's worthy of the calling to be Jesus' people. And he says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If I were to boil that down, and and in fact the whole book of Ephesians, I would boil it down into this phrase. You, church, were made for more. Don't settle for less. You were made for more, don't settle for less. The writer here, in these next few verses, he reminds those who are listening that they are part of one shared purpose, the same God and Father of all, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that there is something that unites them far beyond anything else that might come to define them, that they are first and foremost Jesus' people that they first and foremost give their allegiance to Jesus, that he is their king and no one else, that they get to be defined as Jesus' people pursuing the kingship of Jesus and the goodness of his kingdom more than anything else that would seek to define them. In other passages of scripture, the same writer would say, hey, some of you say, I'm, I belong to this sect, the followers of Peter, the followers of Paul, or the followers of Apollos. And instead he says, no, 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 listen, none of that matters. We're followers of Jesus. We get to be defined by who Jesus says we are. You were made for more, don't settle for less. The invitation in the scriptures, and especially in this book of Ephesians, is for us together to experience shared unity and purpose and calling. So yes, throughout the conversation today, there will be moments where I am positive Holy Spirit will quicken your heart to an individual outcome that he wants to drive you to, to an individual opportunity, a space in your life specifically that he wants to address and speak to because he loves you and he desires more for you. I expect that. But as you listen to these 
words in this conversation. I invite you to pull yourself out of your individual context and listen with the ears of somebody who's part of a broader family of believers called not just Heritage Church, but the capital C Church. Because God, the God of all creation, who rescues us and pursues us, has something far, far bigger than our individual hopes and dreams, something for us far, far bigger than our individual experience, has something far, far greater than our individual little slice of life that we carve out for ourselves. And yet, for so many of us, we spend all of our effort and energy, we invest the greatest amount of resource and time in that tiny little sliver of our own life, in pursuit of what is best for me, in chasing after my identity, my experience, my hopes and dreams. I think that's why when the house is quiet, and everybody's gone to bed, and you've taken a second to breathe, and you might hear the voice of your own soul bubbling to the surface. You hear these frightening words. Isn't there more than this? There's got to be more than this. And so we hear our, the cry of our soul in that moment, and we don't know what to do with it. It frightens us. So we do what comes naturally, which is to pack our days fuller, to move with greater activity, to add more screen time, to do whatever it takes to dampen that voice, because we don't know how to deal with that question, because we don't know if there's an answer for it. Friends, I want you to hear, oh man, you were made for more. You were made for more, don't settle for less. Church, you were made for worship. Don't settle for a show. And by that I mean this, you were made to worship the one true God. You were made to live a lifestyle of worship. Worship in scripture is a word that indicates the, the posture of our body and our heart, recognizing that God and God alone is worthy of praise. That everything we do is about exalting the name and purpose of God, of Jesus, of what he wants to do in the world. And so yes, the half an hour that we get to spend in corporate worship singing awesome praises, that is good, but it is not the sum total of worship don't settle for a show you were made for so much more and what you will find is that as you live into the more that God has for you in worship that those precious gathered moments where we declare together the goodness of God that they are richer and more powerful and more alive than you ever imagined you were made for more don't settle for less you were made for holiness you were made for a life of freedom and transformation that is brought by the living Jesus and his Holy Spirit doing impossible work in you. You were made for holiness. Don't settle for legalism. Don't settle for a list of do's and don'ts where you try to do more of the do's and less of the don'ts in hopes that you balance out whatever it is that God has for you. No, you are made for holiness. You are made for a God who lives inside of you and directs you into more and more of his goodness. Don't settle for legalism. Don't settle for a legalism that causes you to look at the person next to you and wonder how they're measuring up to the checklist in your own mind. You are made for holiness. Don't settle for legalism. You are made for justice and righteousness, church. You know, in Scripture, justice and righteousness are often the same word. So when you are reading Scripture and you see that God calls us to righteousness, interpose justice in there. 
When God calls us to justice, interpose righteousness in there. Invite yourself to hear Holy Spirit and where he's inviting you to be a person of justice and righteousness, but where maybe you're settling for being passive, where you are settling for activity instead of justice and righteousness. Because you see, where we settle when it comes to this is in showing up and doing the thing. I'm checking the box. I went to worship. I gave. I served. Now, that's not to say that gathering and giving and serving are bad things. They are not. In fact, they're really good dashboard indicators to get a sense of how we're doing in connecting with God and others in our purpose. They're great, but they're not an end in and of themselves. The invitation is for you and me to be people of justice and righteousness who are seeking God's kingdom first and watching him do incredible, impossible things. I've mentioned this before, and it's worth repeating, that in the scriptures, God never tells his people that he is going to reject their acts of justice and righteousness because their worship stinks. But he does tell them that he will reject their acts of worship if they fail to pursue him in justice and righteousness. And that ought to quicken our hearts and cause us collectively to ask him, what does it look like for us not to settle for less? Church, you were made for adventure. Don't settle for comfort. You see, in each of these, there's this tension that we feel. There's the desire of our soul that quickens and says, yes, we were made for more, but there's also the tension we feel in the swift flowing current of our lives that will move us to settle for less. And so we ask, how is it then? How do we individually and collectively live into the more that God has for us? What are we to do with that? How are we to live into it? The writer for the rest of chapter 4 and really the rest of the scriptures in this book unpacks what it looks like for you and me to live into the more God has for us. So I kind of divided it up into three quick sections of, of themes that I think are invitations for you and for me to live into more. Now as I say this, before we dig into it together... I want you to hear that each of these, I believe, are sacred invitations from Holy Spirit to us collectively. Do not receive these as places of pressure to perform, but sacred invitation where God desires to see you live into fullness. Pressure to perform is something we affect on our own. Sacred invitation is a space where Holy Spirit leads, provides, equips, and moves. So please don't feel pressure, but sense invitation in this. So how are we to do this then? How are we to experience the more that God has for us individually and as a church? I think the first step that we see is that, that we're to participate fully. We're to participate fully. In verse 11 of chapter 4, the writer says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Here's the more attaining to the whole measure of the fullness 
of Christ. So Christ gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to build the body up, that's each of us collectively, for these works of service. And in doing these works of service, we position ourselves to experience the fullness of Jesus. These works of service or these good works are the same works that we hear of in Ephesians chapter 2, where the writer says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. These good works that he's inviting us into are not, again, a checklist of did we do the right things. It's not a moral list of did you live the right way or not. That's not the good works that he's talking about. The good works, the works of service that we see here are the works that reveal the goodness of God that show the reality of heaven, that remind people of the power and love of Jesus. These works of service are when we together restore dignity and release the oppressed and feed the hungry and speak the truth in love, when we call families and communities to more, when we bring the restoring peace of God to broken spaces, when we live out of the light of Jesus into the darkness. These are the works of service that we're called to be a part of. Hopefully, this gets your heart beating a little bit faster and your spirit quickening a little bit inside of you. And what I want you to hear is that these kinds of spaces of bringing light into to darkness, of meeting real need, of bringing kingdom power into the spaces that we occupy, that this is not reserved for a select few group of people called apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's not for the guy standing up front. It's for each of us together, and that that group of leaders is only working their job if each of us feels as though we are empowered and released to go do this stuff in the name of Jesus. You do not need my permission or anyone else's to go live out the goodness of God in the spaces that you live. In fact, I once heard a teacher say it this way, that our salvation, when we step into relationship with Jesus, that is our calling. And our baptism is our commissioning, descending moment where we go and we live this out. So sometimes we hear this passage of scripture and it's, it's spoken of in a way that's like, so, you know, the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, we do our work so that you can serve in the church. That's so small. That's settling for less. Yes, serving in the church is a good thing. Hear me. We need you to serve and connect so that we can cultivate more space for more people to connect with God in these moments. I'm all about that. But don't stop there. Live into the high and mighty calling that God has for you to be where you are, a vessel of light and truth and life. This is how we experience what it is to participate fully, all of us together. So that's one next step, that, that we participate fully. The second is that we live new. In fact, the, the writer says it that way in chapter 4, verse 22. He says, you church were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created 
to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's this sense right here in Scripture that you and I are made for something new. And if I can be gut-level honest with you, and why not, right? I think there are some of us who came into this space today or who are connecting with us online or on TV who you entered into this moment, and there was a space of frustration, of fear, of burnout where you have been asking God to do some things in your world and you're frustrated that you haven't seen him come to pass. Where you've been asking him to make your marriage better. Where you've been asking him to make your relationship with your kids better. Where you've been asking him to provide better opportunities and a better job. Maybe a better house. Maybe to do a better job as a parent. Where you've been asking God to help you be better, do better, know better. For your kids to experience a better life than you've known. To pursue better together. And you've been asking him desperate to see God do a better thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we discover in Scripture is that Jesus did not come, and you've heard me say this before, Jesus did not come to make things better. He came to make everything new. And I think our pursuit of better is exhausting us and killing us. And when we cry out to God in frustration and fear, and we ask him, how come you haven't made this thing better? I wonder if that is a space where Holy Spirit would speak to your soul say, oh, my child, my child, don't settle for better. I want to make it new. I want you to experience newness of marriage to the same person. I want you to experience newness in relationship with your children. I want you to experience a new sense of calling and purpose where you are. I want you to experience a new way of living. Get rid of the old way of thinking and pursuing and live into this new way of life that Jesus has come to give you. That right there is probably worth the cost of admission today. One of the things that the writer indicates in this moment, he says something interesting. He says, I told you, you know, put aside your old way of thinking, the old man, the old flesh, with its deceitful desires. And you know, I think there are some of us who grew up in the church especially, who have been taught to run in fear from the desires of our heart. That we've been taught that our desires are deceitful, and they will move us away from God's goodness. And what I want you to hear is, that can be true, and in fact it is true when we have not received the new life of Jesus. That our desires can move us further and further away from God's goodness. But you see, when we receive the gift of Jesus and the new life that he has for us, he gives us his desires. And so the desires that quicken our heart, church, I want you to have permission to receive those and chase after them. Not to run from the desires of your heart, but to know that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And that means he's even giving you new and better desires for the stuff that he has for you and your family, the dreams for your life. You can receive those and chase after them. And here's the thing. You know the difference. You know the difference. Between desires for the old way of living and desires that lead us in the way of Jesus. And if you don't know if this desire that you have is old or new, 
Ask Holy Spirit to tell you. He cares a whole lot about you and the desires he wants you to see fulfillment in. So chase it, church. So we live new. We also elevate others. That same passage, we just kind of interrupted it there. It continues. It says, therefore, because you're living new, each of you must put away falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor because we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Verse 30, he continues, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. He includes in this list, we kind of skipped over it there, he includes in this list the stuff like, hey, don't steal, okay? Like that's a good rule of thumb right? He's, he includes some really practical invitations for us. But at the heart of them is this invitation to view others as more significant than ourselves, to see that part of what we are about is elevating the cause, the purpose of others in the name of Jesus. You see, we get angry when we feel personally slighted, we move to envy when we feel as though we are owed something and haven't received it. We find ourselves pursuing selfish design, and when we do that, then we can check off this list really well. We can be angry, and we can be uh, bitter and rageful and brawling and slanderous and malicious. But you see, when we choose to see the person next to us as worthy of God's very best, and that part of our invitation is to help them live into that and experience the fullness of God for themselves, well, that is the space of kindness and compassion empowered by Holy Spirit. It's where we are called to live. It's the invitation that you and I have. I wonder why the writer here included this. You were made for more. Don't settle for less. Oh, and by the way, don't steal and don't be a jerk. Like, that's basically what he says here. That's a weird note to land on in this section. Why would he do that? I think a hint is actually found in a moment when Jesus is teaching and sending his first followers. You see, Jesus had 12 followers of his own who knew him, who, who interacted with him personally. And there comes a point where Jesus says, all right, you 12, it's time for you to go do the stuff that you've seen me doing. It's an incredible moment. He tells them to go heal the sick, to cast out demons, to heal people who are sick with leprosy, to raise the dead. It's an incredible moment. I believe it's the same invitation that you and I are given today when we talk about living out this full participation. Jesus sends us to go live as he lives. But then he says, I'm sending you to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm sending you to your own people. And I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore, because I'm doing that, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
There's this very real conversation that's happening here, and he's saying, church, as you live out what it looks like to be Jesus with skin on, you are going to bump into spaces where you need wisdom and innocence as never before. We need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But church, if we could be really honest with each other, if we could just, just settle in for a second, I think we would acknowledge that many of us and the church broadly has misread this passage of Scripture, especially in the last season. And instead of choosing what it looks like to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, we have often chosen the way of being vicious as vipers and dumb as dodos. You were made for more. Don't settle for less. You see, we, church, are called to be shrewd and innocent, not vicious and dumb. What that means is you don't have to rise up to every fight. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to come out on top every time. I wonder if, if you could replay the conversations that you've had over the past week with people who disagree with you. If we could look past your, the social media feed you're reading or contributing to, would it be marked as something that is shrewd and innocent or vicious and dumb? One of those we're invited into. One of them we ought to have nothing to do with. Church, you were made for more. Don't settle for less. You do not have to fight and win every battle for Jesus. He has it covered. He's king. He conquered the grave. He can handle whatever's going on on Twitter. That's a good preaching, right? Yeah, I hear that in the back. Church, you were made for more. Don't settle for less. I have a sense of urgency deep in my spirit about this conversation, if you can't tell. It's because I believe Jesus is one day and one day soon returning. And when he does, he is coming for a church that is pure and is fulfilling its purpose. So, church, you were made for more. Don't you dare settle for less. In fact, I'm going to pray that Holy Spirit would show us what it looks like to live into that more space together. So let's do that now. Holy Spirit, I'm so, so grateful that you are alive, that you speak to us, that you use, that you use this ancient text and bring it to life that you desire each of us to know the life to the full that you've made us for. Lord, I know that in conversations like this one, it's possible for us to leave this space in one of a couple ways. One is, is leaving feeling as though we're crushed under the weight of expectation. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from that, from that place of pressure. I also know it's possible that we would leave this place stepping into sacred invitation. And so, Lord, invite us and show us what it looks like to be people of courage who risk faithfully in pursuit of the more that you have for us. Lord, we don't want to settle for less. We want to be found as your church, pure and living on purpose. Show us how to do that. 
God, I know there are some of us who are interacting with this conversation who have not yet received you as the one who forgives and leads them. And so, Lord, they're, they're not able to live fully into the more that you have for them. I pray that you would give them courage and strength to ask you to be the one who forgives and leads them. Allow them to do that even now. God, for those of us who are exhausted because we've been striving to make things better, show us what it looks like to receive the new that you have. For those of us who've become aware in fresh ways of spaces where we've been tempted to settle, Lord, show us what it looks like to leave that behind and receive all that you have for us, the more than we could ask or imagine. God, we pray this not just for our sake, but for the glory of your great name. So lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin.
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had a low. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me know that life begins with you. Yes, it does. It's your today that we are a free people. Yes and amen. Remember and continue to live for more in him. Have a great rest of your week. If something during the service struck a chord with you and you'd like to have someone pray with you, or if you have a follow-up question to something said during the sermon, I'd encourage you to go to heritageqc.com connect and one of us on the pastoral team will reach out to you this week. That's also a great way to find out which groups, classes, and events we are offering. Did you know that the only place in the Bible God says we can and should test Him is in our tithing? We'd encourage you to faithfully risk with us and give with radical generosity. It is your giving to the ministries of Heritage Church that makes programs like this possible. One of the easiest ways to do this is by going to heritageqc.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and we will see you next week. <laughs>